When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake here with Darius Dale of 42 Macro. Hi, Darius. Hey, Maggie, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Making it through the week, right? Hump day. And um, it was a little bit of an interesting one. U.S. stocks retreated across the board. We actually had the Russell, the biggest loser of the major averages, down over 1%. We saw Treasury yields, uh, meanwhile, edge lower, and the U.S. dollar index at its highest level since July 2020. The currency action was very much in focus over in Asia as well. Real Vision's Weston Nakamura sent this report from Tokyo. Thanks, Maggie. I just want to comment on the dollar strength as of late. It's getting a lot of attention. Um, so there are two drivers that I think a lot of people are missing happening kind of under the surface. Um, and that is interest rate volatility at the front end, as well as the um, implied volatility uh, for FX itself. Okay, so uh, usually cur- currency markets directionally are driven by yield spread differentials. Um, however, right now you have elevated front end rate volatility. Um, and it's elevated because of central bank uncertainty around the world. And not just policy uncertainty, but you have more uncertainty in uh, the near-term rates than you do on uh, you know, policy rates going further out in the future. And we can chalk that up to central banks around the world, uh, like the Reserve Bank of Australia dropping yield curve control, um, Bank of Canada, sudden QE drop, uh, Bank of England shocked markets on two consecutive meetings um, in two different directions. And then, of course, you have the imminent any day now uh, announcement of whether or not Fed Chair Jay Powell will keep his job. So you have the move index, which is like the VIX of fixed income, moving up right alongside uh, the dollar spot index. In addition to that, you have uh, one month implied volatility on FX now being elevated as of yesterday, because as of yesterday, the one-month implied volatility space now captures the December meetings uh, for the December Fed, the December ECB, December Bank of England, and various other central banks. So just make sure you're aware of that. Um, be aware that there is indeed uh, you know, a lot going on under the surface. Um, and the last point I'll make is that the Central Bank Republic of Turkey, CBRT, has their policy meeting for tomorrow. The lira is getting destroyed right now as we speak. It's down 2.5% of the day to all-time record lows. And so it'll be very interesting to see what kind of policy uh, comes out uh, of that. And back to you, Maggie. Now, Darius, I know you've been also been tracking currencies. What do you make of the dollar's resilience? Yeah, the dollar should be resilient. I mean, we, you know, you talk about relating the macro econ- or relating financial markets back to the macro economy, um, as we do in our process here, 42 macro, it's very clear that the dollar should be grinding higher in this particular uh, juncture. Um, you think about when growth is slowing. So when the do- when growth is accelerating, you typically have anywhere between a three to five percent annualized return uh, in the dollar. That's you know when the economy's in Goldilocks or a reflation according to our our, our bottom up macro regime process. When you're when the economy's decelerating, when the growth is decelerating on a trending basis, you typically have a three to five percent annualized expected return for the dollar, and that's exactly what I think is happening. And that's something that, in our opinion, 
based on the confluence of the potential for an accelerated taper and also obviously the policy rate tightening that we uh, we're observing in the euro dollar market. Uh, those factors are all contributing to a stronger dollar as we head into next year. Does it look like it can continue? I mean, you know, uh, it, it, for some people looking at the dollar index noted that it, it had broken out of a recent range. Does it look like it's got some legs here? Yeah, so this is why you know <laughs> I tend to, to 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 have all these mouthfuls and nomenclature associated with our process. But you know, one thing we do well here at Forty Two Macro is, is 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 you know sort of parsing out the relationship between volatility and price in financial markets. And with respect to our volatility adjusted momentum signal process, the dollar's been bullish for months. Like this yeah. sort of breakout in the dollar that everyone's talking about on a technical basis was preceded by the breakout in currency volatility months ago. And so, if you turn in terms of how our process is scoring it, uh, one, it happened already, and two, it's it should continue to happen based on our outlook for both growth and policy, and, and more importantly, um, it's something that we think investors will eventually have to chase. Oh, great! So, it, on that on that policy outlook, we have a question from John on the exchange. Uh, in an interview yesterday, former Treasury Secretary Summers is advising immediate action by the Fed to throttle inflation expectations. He's asking, are you generally less hawkish on inflation? You mentioned, I think last time we were on together, uh, your models were showing reflation mode. It sounds like on what you just said a moment ago that that that's maybe changed. What are you seeing in terms of inflation? Are we in inflation? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So our models on the on the financial markets are still very much in reflation. Um, that remains the dominant market regime at the current juncture. However, we've not necessarily observed the bottom-up reflation that, that should perpetuate that uh, in the sense that the economy uh, kind of rebounds off this sort of Delta variant uh, impact. We saw that, obviously, in the October retail sales data. Um, you know, headline and control group both accelerated. The headline was up as, as, as high as it's been since March. So that was very positive, the industrial production data, uh, fastest rate of change we've seen since April of this year. So clearly, we start to see a little bit evidence of that. But I'm actually concerned with respect to the economy's ability to continue to perpetuate the market regime that's reflation that is ongoing right now, because you know we're starting to get to the place where it's winter in the northern hemisphere, and if we have a cold winter, you may actually start to see an amelioration of what is already a deteriorating COVID-19 environment, uh, especially mm-hmm. in Europe. But obviously, you know, we're not going to be immune to that. Um, you know, kind of just being across the pond. Yeah, yeah, we're already seeing headlines about gatherings. And, you know, this is just not the kind of thing that anybody wants to wrap their head around. Um, Are you expecting that that the that the inflation that we're seeing is going to hurt demand? I mean, are you changing your view on what's happening with growth? Yeah. So the inflation that we're seeing is already hurting demand. I want to say if you look to the uh, University of Michigan uh, uh, surveys, you have the buying conditions for vehicles at the lowest reading of all time, buying conditions for houses, is at the lowest rating since August of 1982. And then buying conditions for large household durables is already the lowest level we've seen since May of 1980. I wasn't even born uh, in 1980. So Sadly, clearly, I was, Darren. Yeah, no, nah, don't worry about it. You look great. You look great. That's all that matters. Um, anyway, so the, the, the key takeaway here is that it's already starting to crimp demand at the lower end of the consumer income spectrum. Now, whether or not it crimps demand, you know, I mean, don't let's 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 start by saying, hey, we're coming off of an extremely elevated level of demand. So it's not like you know that those readings should you know necessarily portend recessions. It's just mm-hmm. that on a go forward basis, we're talking about an economic environment where growth is likely to trend lower. Um, whether or not we get a couple of months of bounce here, you know, in October and November, I think is sort of beside the point at this juncture because again, it's it's almost late November, and you're talking about realizing data, um, you know, for you know, in a backward looking manner. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we, we have seen some reports that some of the traffic, when we look at this supply chain, which just seems to have infiltrated everything, the disruptions, we see reports that the, you know, the traffic jam or the back backlog is starting to ease at the port of Los Angeles. But it seems like no matter where you look, you know, you mentioned energy, even if we get an ease in one area, do we run the threat of another? We have a question from Christopher on the exchange. You said you were 40% cash in late October going into FMC early November. Given the FMC post-FMC rally, are you waiting for an entry or staying high cash with more the more medium anticipation of a broader correction? And I assume he's talking about stocks. Yeah, so that question's uh, the the premise of the question is incorrect. We went to forty percent cash on September twenty first, and on September twenty fifth, or heading into the following week, we took that down to twenty percent cash. But it was more of a reflationary bias. We put a lot of high beta exposure in the portfolio construction, and mm-hmm. so we didn't want to have too much. Uh, you know, we didn't need to be fully invested in the context of that. So, uh, as you know, we've we've been extremely bullish since since late September, since that pivot, um, and that's obviously worked out well in financial market terms. I think the S and P's up like nine or ten percent. Uh, since then, um, that was obviously a good call. But in terms of like the the go forward look, I don't think it's time to 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 to, to sell in November and head for the hills or whatever the appropriate, <laughs> the appropriate <laughs> head into your bunker. I'll, I'll think of one for next time. No, I mean, the, look, the the reality is there's a lot of angst around inflation and what that ultimately means from a policy perspective. But the Fed has been extremely clear about look, we're not going to hike interest rates until at the bare minimum until we're done with this tapering process. In terms of a negative catalyst on policy, the earliest we can get a negative catalyst is in January, with respect to uh, the potential acceleration and tapering. So you're talking about the Fed buying $105 billion of bonds a month, and then another 90-something billion, $90 billion of bonds a month next month. Like We're still talking about some pretty aggressive levels of, of quantitative easing, um, mm-hmm. and that should obviously continue to support asset markets. And the re- primary reason I think that's likely to support asset markets into and potentially through the early part of next year, um, risk assets in particular, is because we don't have an aggressive deceleration and growth projected yet. Our models are pointing to um, you know, sort of the, the late Q1, early part of Q2 of next year. Um, Brian, if you could pull up the chart on slide 25 and our, 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 our macro scouting report, you know, this is something we put out uh, every month for investors, 100, 150 slides of, of, of economic data and projections on what we see the economy headed. And as you can see, the, the rate of change in that chart on the right really starts to slope down at a faster pace right around the latter part of Q1 of next year. And so um, that to us is kind of a, where a lot of things that coalesce from a bearish catalyst perspective. And now who knows when the market starts to price that in. It could be January, it could be February, obviously it could be March. Um, that's not my job to, to, to make that call here in November today. But the yeah. reality is it's November and we're not necessarily at that point in the process where asset markets should really start to price that negativity in. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, it's interesting. And you're so right about, about the, you know, the timing of the Fed and what's possible, especially while they, as long as they stand by, you know, that said preference of keeping taper and rate decisions separate. But, you know, there just seems to be maybe because we've seen such big moves, especially if you're not looking at the broader market and some individual stocks, there seems to be no shortage of worry in the market. Jared Dillian discussed this on Real Vision with James Devoles, portfolio manager at Horizon Kinetics, who talked about the risk of rising rates. Let's have a listen to what they had to say. 
I think it's going to still be extremely low. I just don't think that their equity markets are so fragile. Bond markets are so fragile. And then the way that ripples through the real economy because of how many savers are living off of basically these inflated asset prices for their savings, how many uh, institutions are basically in these long duration bonds or intermediate duration bonds, just little hikes can just wreak havoc. And basically they've kind of coaxed everybody into owning their debt for so long, but then you basically have to look at how that would ripple through the economy. But then you're also trying to attract foreign buyers because the one thing that's really scary is if you look at the Congressional Budget Office, which is eternally overly optimistic, they basically still look at adding another $15 trillion, that might even be low, of federal debt over the next decade. And the big swing factor, the difference between what's been happening in the past couple of years versus what they're projecting is that that's all going to be funded by foreign buyers. So how do you balance? <laughs> yeah, pull it up, public information. So how do you get foreign buyers and balance what you're trying to do with one hand and the other hand? It's just like, I don't see how they can achieve all these different things. <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Jared having a real chuckle there made me laugh listening to him. Um, that full interview, by the way, is available on Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Um, you know, Darius, I'm I'm curious, what is your expectation from interest rates? I feel like there's there's an awful big divide here. People are kind of all over the place with their forecasts. Yeah, so I mean, we've been pretty clear on this uh, since going back to um, you know the mid part of September. It's like, look, we're going to get this reflation trade. You know, we call we called for the reflation trade in, in in mid late in that in that time period I just referenced and said, hey, look, it's not going to be the kind of reflation trade that we got in the first half of the year. You just don't have the same dynamics with respect to accelerating growth, accelerating inflation, accelerating profits. You know, record monetary and fiscal stimulus. Those dynamics did not carry over into the second half of the year. So the reflation trade that we got was not likely to be one where you saw a big breakout in bond yields. You know, I was very clear all throughout the fall and saying, hey, look. Everyone's calling for 2% on the 10-year, and I'm very much against it. I think it could trade in a 140 to 160 range, and I think that's by and large what we got. We obviously saw 170, kind of a, a somewhat of a little bit lower, lower high in the 10-year, but you know, 30-year bonds, 30-year bond yield is, is nowhere to be found with respect to that that reflation. And so, you know, I think the number one thing that investors are missing on the on the on the, on the bond yield debate when they talk about higher rates, this higher rates that. And again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. We just have a very different way of looking at the world. You pull up slide 27, you see the both the secular and the cyclical view on inflation. And what we're talking about that, and what I mean by that is, okay, here's the longer term time series, and here's the shorter term term, term look at that. If you look at the chart on the left, it, was it a good time to buy bonds or sell bonds at each of those peaks, those cyclical peaks in the chart? And you obviously, the answer is a good time to buy bonds. Obviously, you know, bonds, buying bonds means rates are going lower. And so you look at the chart on the right says, okay, you know, let's say the model is reasonably accurate over the next few months, and, and certainly generally accurate over over one year time horizon. If this is at, if we are at the peak of the inflation sign curve, or very close to the peak of the inflation sign curve, is it a good time to buy bonds, or is it a bad time to buy bonds? Mm. You know, go back to the prior peaks in that inflation sign curve. You know, obviously the early part of 2020, and then obviously the latter part of 2018. You know, this is this is rate of change analysis. This markets function on rate of change not the level. The level is always priced in. The rate of change is what changes the direction of financial market momentum. 
And so ultimately we think, you know, as we go throughout the early part of next year, and certainly as we get into the middle part of next year, it's very likely we see 120 on the 10 year or, or you know, breaking down to 180 on the, on the 30 year again, as a function again of the rate of change of inflation slowing fairly markedly from these levels. Yeah, and that would be a, that that would be a big change. You know, I, the the I was interested in um, after I heard James's comment, it kind of dovetails with a lot of what you're hearing. The CEO CEO of Gold of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, speaking at a conference DJ in Asia. Saul. Yeah, warning about that the market's in for a rocky time and that greed is outpacing fear right now. Interesting comment coming from him. Are you seeing any warning signs of that? Um, and you could put it another way, too. You could talk about it as complacency. Are you seeing that show up anywhere? The VIX was up today, but not a lot. It's still low. Um, anything on uh, in your uh, you know on your radar that would be a warning sign? Yeah, not not in respect to the near term, no. Yeah. Uh, so one thing we look at at Forty Two Macro, we, we religiously study options market activity as a as a contra indicator, you know, on a short to medium term time horizon. And right now, what you're seeing is that. Skews fairly balanced uh, if you mm-hmm. look at it on a one year Z score basis for the bar to market or you know some major market exposures like the Qs or you know the Nasdaq things like that. So skews pretty balanced uh, with respect to the medium term, and then you look at on a shorter term time horizon. We look at the volatility risk premium in, embedded in the options market, and and right now volatility risk premium are very very elevated for things like the SPY, the Qs, and things you know for those sorts. And what that's telling you is that investors are very nervous. The investors have the DJ Soul playbook on, which is, I think the market's going to crash tomorrow. <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not going to crash as everyone has that playbook on. You know, There's yeah. obviously a lot of dealer flow dynamics associated with unwinding that and perpetuating higher highs in the stock market. So you know, I say this all the time. You know, this is one of my, my sayings. I, I'm contributing a lot of sayings to the financial services industry, but markets don't crash when everybody's positioned for a crash. They yeah. crash when people take off the edges. And yeah. so right now, I believe the economic environment we're in, and potentially the one we're likely heading into, you know, once you get past kind of the the the, the bounce in, in economic activity that we're likely to observe in the October and November data, potentially the December data. But you know, as you go into the early part of next year, it's pretty clear, and from our model's perspective, that growth will be decelerating, and so like that'll likely catalyze incremental bearishness. And so you're talking about a scenario where realized volatility on a trailing one-year basis is falling. And so you're talking about pulling CTAs and quants incrementally into the asset markets, while at the same time, the fundamental investors are looking around at signals that are telling them to hedge and hedge and hedge and hedge. And that's exactly how you get a late stage bull market belt up. And I think we're very much, we've been in one, obviously, since we made the call in late September. And I think that's likely to continue. It doesn't necessarily mean it's po- everything's positive. You just have to understand all these different market dynamics and all the different players in the markets in order to actually capitalize on to make money. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff, Darius, and encouraging because I I guess I've been hanging out out with a lot of people who worry lately because uh, um, that does seem to be the prevailing thing. But as you say, people are positioning for it. We have a question from uh, Brent Crude. Uh, Do you see a rise in the dollar index as a uh, a portent to the trashing of some other major currency, i.e. the yuan, um, adding go Bulldogs? Oh, yeah, let's go. Big game this weekend. The game. The game this weekend up in New Haven. Um, yeah, so um, no, no I, I, I think it's highly unlikely, particularly with respect to the yuan, uh, of us seeing a big crash in the Chinese currency. What we've actually observed uh, throughout this sort of slowdown period in China, which we called for back in early March, um, this slowdown period in China, is a very, uh, a very obvious unwillingness for the PBOC to ease monetary policy. Its policy setting has been decidedly neutral 
They've added here, they've taken away there, and they've kept Shibor, which is three month Shibor, which is the metric to track as it relates to the PBOC's uh, monetary policy reaction function in China. And it's gone nowhere in like four months. And this is a, amid, you know, pretty obvious deceleration in economic activity in China. Obvious, you know, kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say collapse, but certainly something petering on the edge of collapse in the property market. And mm. so I think what they're, I think that what it means, and I said this back in the summertime, you know, China's not going to fall off a cliff because they have the policy tools to prevent falling off a cliff. But I do believe that they're very serious about this common prosperity initiative. And they've seen exactly what, you know, kind of the, the they've seen the downside of capitalism kind of looking looking at us from abroad. And I don't think they want that. And I think they're very serious about um, kind of, you know, reining in speculation and, and, and leverage uh, in that sector of their economy. Yeah. When you have command control centralized economy, um, you, you, you run the show, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, that's going to have a huge impact on on the yuan. Um, so, I uh, want to ask you. We have a question, um, but but my question as well about Bitcoin, um, and this one from Majir. Can you ask Darius about the recent drop in Bitcoin? What his thoughts are, or is this a buying opportunity? That coming from Majir on the exchange. Yeah, no buying opportunity. I mean, I, you know, I'm certainly no expert on on chain analytics. I think you know, <laughs> being an expert in the global macro economy is hard enough. Uh, but certainly, you know, I do. But yeah, so Bitcoin and Ethereum are still pretty close to the lower boundary of our probable ranges. We're, we're definitely buyers, and we do believe that there's upside in so much that we continue to see, you know, uh, positive outlook for for asset markets for risk assets. Generally speaking, now we'll say that to say this: I don't think all the, you know, uh, if I part of my French, and I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I don't think all the shit coins are going to do as well as Bitcoin and yeah. Ethereum, because I don't believe that we're in the in the in the um, part of that process, like. Earlier in the bull market, you see the breadth widen and the and the and the, um, and the participation, you know, really widen. And you know, Dogecoin this or Shiba that or this or that or some brand new coin. That's what happens at the beginning. As you go from mid the early part of the bull the bull run to the middle part of the bull run to the latter part of the bull run, as I think we're starting to transition to, you're going to start to see breadth narrow. And that's quite frankly, that's exactly what we're seeing um, in the equity market as well. You know, you go back to, uh, you know, when we made the call to pivot incrementally bullish in September when everybody was freaking out about this or that or tapering or China or Evergrande. We made the call to pivot incrementally bullish because our dispersion analysis, which tracks, you know, 50 sec- equity sectors and style factors on a month on month sharp ratio basis, looking at the composition of the upper quintile relative to the lower quintile to see if asset markets, particularly you know, your pod shop type uh, hedge funds, Millennium, Citadel, Bally, Asney, 0.72, to see what they're doing at the margin. What we saw was a very clear risk-on signal. Even mm. though the market was correcting, you saw the composition of the upper quintile relative to the lower quintile be very procyclical. And so right now, that procyclicality has dissipated. And I don't really see anything economically in the near to medium-term horizon that suggests that we should get that procyclicality back. And so to me, that's another signal that, hey, you're going to start to see, you know, kind of lower highs being made and a lot of these sort of shit coins, again, part of my French, and yeah. a lot of that capital starting to go back towards the, the central part of the crypto ecosystem in so much that it's doing that uh, both in the equity and credit markets as well. Yeah, interesting. Um, interesting. We saw um, the the big headline about the stadium being uh, the Lakers stadium being uh, the the naming rights being bought. Um, someone joking around about you know wh- whether that's you know there's a there's a sketchy past um, with the the companies involved with naming stadiums. It could be great and a sign yeah. of mainstreaming, or it can be you know being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You know. Uh, yeah. No. You uh, do not. No. Never. Never name a stadium. That's the, that's. A, yeah. That's right. I kind of kind of feels like that after after some of the the gloves we've seen in the past, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be different this time. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, we have a question. We got a lot of different questions. Uh, thank you all for sending them in. I'm going to try to get as many in as we can. Um, a couple questions about the S&P 500. Liam, what's the upper end of the S&P 500 4,800 level or 5,000 level you see in this bullish scenario? Oh, I mean, I, price targets are, are a joke. Don't, don't listen to anybody who gives you price targets, Liam. Uh, the, if you learn anything to me from me today, that's not the point. The point of the process is using the x-axis. It's not about the y-axis because the market's not going to give you whatever your price target is all the time. And quite frankly, almost rarely ever gives you the price target. It's about the amount of time that you have to take that certain type of risk. And more importantly, when on the x-axis, does the, 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 does the market god, do the market god say, this is no longer appropriate risk to take? That's what macro risk management is about. That's what risk management is about in general. It's not about saying, hey, I think the market's going to 5,100, therefore I'm going to stay long until 5,100. No, I think the market might actually start to develop some, some consternation and some vol- real volatility in and around mid to late Q1 of next year. I don't give a damn where the market is at that point. I think it's going higher up until that point. It could be 5,100, could be 4,900, could be you know 5,500. I don't really care what the, the outcome is. It's just about making that decision at the appropriate amount of time on the x-axis which, by, by the way, is the most disrespected thing in finance. No one talks about it, but everything we do from a, from a, from a, from a prognostication perspective depends on the ticks on that x-axis. So uh, be very cognizant about that with respect to your risk management. And so for, for, for people who, who don't follow you all the time, um, why is that, Darius? Why is that so important? Well, time. Time is the function. There's a time value of money. There's a time value of everything. There's, there's a time. time is the function by which all these things, <laughs> these are all time series. The, the mm-hmm. chart of the stock market is a time series. The chart of inflation is a time series. The chart of retail sales is a time series. And so what we're ultimately trying to do, going back to the slide 25 and slide 27 in our macro scouting report, it's about understanding where you are in the time series and if you're at a potential inflection point. You know, yeah. like When you're at the peak of the growth sign curve or the peak of the inflation sign curve, and you start to look forward and say, hey, we're going to be lower six, nine months, 12 months from now, that is a very different asset allocation decision-making process than when you are at the bottom of those respective sign curves. And so that's all you're trying to do is understand that, hey, on this point of the x-axis, I'm either at the peak or the bottom of the sign curve, or I'm somewhere in the middle. And if you're somewhere in the middle, you obviously it makes it a little bit more challenging to, to get the direction right. But yeah. you know, definitely you need to get the direction right if you're talking about taking the appropriate risk in financial markets. You know, we could all sit here and just be 60% spy and 40% TLT and call it a day, but that's obviously not why we're tuned in. We obviously yeah. all have this you know, bug in us that makes us believe you know, we can consistently outperform. And some people can, some people can't. But the reality is, if you can't, you certainly want to subscribe to a process that can help you do that. Yeah. And you, and you want to try, right? Yeah, um, everyone wants to try. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Liam, and I think it's going to fit into this not targeting levels, but uh, it, it's bringing us back to the VIX. When do you see the VIX crossing 21 levels is it really, can we also, if we're not looking into targeting a level, should we also look at, you know, what is an area or what kind of action in the VIX would make you concerned? It's, it feels like it's been subdued for a while. What do we, what, you know, what do we look to in that or what kind of things do you track around that that would indicate, oh, we, we got something going on here, we need to pay attention? Yeah, so it's not, it's not just the VIX. I mean, in our global macro risk matrix, you know, we're actually scoring 42 of the most primary liquid, you know, most widely followed market indicators 
through the lens of our volatility adjusted momentum signal process. And the amalgamation of that, the summary of that process will tell us what market regime we're in. So it's not just about the VIX or just about the S&P or just about the dollar. It's about all what all 42 of them are saying at any one moment in time as it relates to agreeing upon or not disagreeing upon any one of those particular grid regimes. Again, you got Goldilocks, reflation, inflation, which is stagflation and deflation. And so, you know, you know, going back to the VIX, you know, if the VIX breaks out to bullish bands, which it, you know, can do on an episodic basis and non-trending basis, you know, that's uh, that's a cause for alarm, but it's not necessarily a, a signal to head for the hills because again, volatility tends to spike and then mean revert um, unless you're in an actual sort of bear market type scenario where the economy is very clearly in bottom up the deflation, the top down market regime is very clearly in deflation. Again, I don't think we're there yet. Um, and so, in terms of the VIX, you could see an episodic and non-trading vol spike. But again, I think you're buying dips into the early to mid part of Q1 of next year. You know, uh, just as we as we finish up here, Darius, we've got a couple questions about um, oil. We have some questions. I know a lot of people have been looking at gold. We have a lot of questions, as we have all week when we've seen this price action around electric vehicles, right? We've seen the price action in Tesla. We've seen Rivian continue to power higher. I think it came off today. Some of these other ones in the pipeline stuff. Is there is there anything uh, or position area that you think looks all overbought, or is there anything you're particularly bullish on as we sort of close out here? Yeah, no, nothing's up, especially overbought. I checked that before we hopped on. Nothing especially overbought. But on, 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 you mentioned oil. Uh, I got to read this tweet from Senator Manchin. This is on on the day we um, we received the October CPI print. Obviously, the big six handle. I got everybody spooked. Quote: I'm quoting Joe Manchin. By all accounts, the threat posed to record the threat posed by record inflation to the American people is not transitory, and is instead getting worse. From the grocery store to the gas pump, Americans know the inflation tax is real. And DC can no longer ignore the economic pain Americans feel every day. I think that was a real shot across the bow. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone's talking about it. I don't think people are talking about this enough. You have Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Sinema continuously sitting on the outside looking in with respect to President Biden's economic agenda. And quite frankly, I think a tweet like that, which you know <laughs> got well over a thousand retweets, you know, it's it's or sorry, three thousand retweets. This is I think there's a real kind of I think investors are missing the boat with respect to okay, what's the longer term outlook for you know spe- commodity market speculation with respect mm-hmm. to the U.S. fiscal policy agenda? Now we're very clearly going to stay pretty easy relative to you know the prior five years or the prior ten years, but the reality is we could go from one seven five or one eight five on that price tag to something that's like one five or one two five. I don't know what the number is. I don't think anybody knows what the number is, but the reality is, I think if those numbers start to come down in terms of getting that that budget resolution passed, you're going to see some wind taken out of the sails of the commodity market speculation. Because again, one of the central theses for that 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 position is that the U.S. fiscal largesse is going to continue indefinitely at some very big levels and rates. And obviously, if this moves in the margin at the margin in a way that's a little bit more fiscally tight as a function again, of all this inflation, which is sowing the seeds of its own destruction, potentially, then I Mm. do believe that you're going to start to see some narrowing of leadership in the physical commodity space as well. Fantastic. Uh, Darius, so much great stuff today. Thank you so much. And we got through a lot of those questions. Thanks to everyone for asking. Of course, if we didn't get to it or if you've got more, uh, we can continue the conversation over on the exchange. Thanks so much for watching The Daily Briefing. Darius, always great to have you with us. I'll be back tomorrow with Katie Stockton. And mark your calendars. 
We are taking over Vegas from December 9th to the 11th. Real Vision and MGM Resorts are joining forces to host a groundbreaking event on the biggest revolution since the internet, blockchain. We're exploring blockchain's present and future and how it's disrupting entire industries from traditional finance, art, gaming, music, you name it, all of it at the iconic MGM Grand. You can find out more information over on the site at realvision.com slash MGM takeover. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.